The Holy Gospel according to John, the 10th chapter. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The Gospel of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So we are still in the season of Easter. Uh, we've mentioned this now a couple of times, but Easter is appropriately uh, the longest season of the church year. It's a week of weeks, so 49 days, and then it concludes on the 50th day, uh, the festival of Pentecost. We're in the fourth Sunday of Easter now, um, and uh, if it wasn't apparent before the children's sermon, it may have become apparent. This is a Sunday, the fourth Sunday of Easter, when we always focus on God as our loving shepherd. It's sometimes called Good Shepherd Sunday. Uh, and so every year we have a reading from John chapter 10, where Jesus uh, equates himself with the Good Shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And every year, we also read from probably the most famous psalm in the Bible, maybe even the most passage, uh, famous passage in the Bible, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so uh, today, I want to do a couple things. I want to draw our attention to the psalm primarily, and I want to do two things. I want to first of all ask the question, why do we read Psalm 23 during Easter and put it in some kind of context uh, related to the season? And then I just want to, for the second part, I want to let us sort of sit and rest in the promises of uh, Psalm 23. I don't think we can ever do that enough. So the first point, um, why do we read Psalm 23 uh, during Easter? It, it is sometimes called a psalm of trust or a song of trust, which suggests that Psalm 23 is about uh, reminding us that God is with us uh, protecting us, guiding us, leading us during a difficult time. And that is certainly implied uh, within the psalm itself, but that becomes even more obvious or more clear when we put Psalm 23 next to uh, what precedes it, right before it, which would be Psalm... <laughs> this is not a trick question. Uh, let's try that again. What's the psalm that comes right before Psalm 23? Right. Now, Psalm 22 is not as famous as Psalm 23. However, I have a feeling that you actually know how Psalm 22 begins, whether you're aware of it or not. Does anyone know offhand the opening words of Psalm 22? It's, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And it's the psalm, of course, that Jesus cries when he's on the cross preparing to die. We read it every Good Friday because of it. We read the whole thing. And that, that psalm is filled certainly with, again, Jesus' cries of desperation, his sense of alienation. I'll lift up just a couple of, it's a long psalm, uh, but both the beginning of it, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some other verses are, are quite famous. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. All who seek me mock at me, they make mouths at me, they shake their heads. Uh, I am poured out like water. Or, or this one. Again, this is a psalm written long before Jesus lived, but it's, it's directly connected to his sacrifice on the cross. Um, they stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. Okay? So if you want to think about Psalm 23, and I think this is appropriate. Again, it's a psalm of trust. If you want to think of it as sort of a, a, an Easter psalm, a, saw, a psalm of hope, uh, a psalm of, of promise, a psalm of trust, then it's also important, I think, uh, to remember that that hope, that promise, that trust that we Christians uh, believe in is not, I'm going to say it this way, it's not a naive hope or trust. It's a hope and trust that comes only through um, the events of Good Friday. Uh, and if you say, well, Tim, this is Easter. You're supposed to talk about happy things. Why would you bring up, you know, a sad psalm like Psalm 22? I don't think it's sad. I think it's being honest. Would you like me to stand up here and say, hey, it's Easter, everyone. I'm sure now, thanks to Easter, you all have perfect lives, right? <laughs> that would be irresponsible. It would not be true. And so instead, yes, as Christians, we are a resurrection people. We believe in the promise of the resurrection, the hope of the resurrection. We know how the story is going to end uh, with God's love triumphing over all things. But that doesn't mean that in this life we also don't have pain and grief and challenge. Can I get an amen to that? Uh, I mentioned in my welcome, Michael Curry, Bishop Michael Curry, the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, is going to be with us on Tuesday, the 16th of May. Uh, quite uh, accidentally, I, I, I saw uh, an excerpt of a talk he gave uh, in Ohio for all the Episcopal priests of Ohio just this past week. Uh, and he said something in that which was directly related to this point I'm making about the tension between, let's call it Psalm 22, the pain, the grief, the challenge of that, and the hope and promise of Psalm 23. Here's what he said. We Christians live in Good Friday and Easter Sunday at the same time. And we always have. I, I love that. Again, it, it doesn't discount the promise or the hope of the resurrection, but it places it in, again, a sort of realistic context of, the, of sometimes the pain and grief of this life, okay? So that's why, that's one reason it's always appropriate to read Psalm 23 during Easter. It, it sort of lifts up that tension or that contrast. So let me now, in the second part here, just again, I want to lift up uh, a few of the, the promises from Psalm 23. I'm going to begin by saying, though, uh, I'm not suggesting, and I include myself in this, I'm not suggesting that any of us fully receive or completely accept these promises in this lifetime, right? It's hard to hear them, it's hard to accept them, it's hard to trust in them, uh, but that's why we have to hear them again and again 
and again, and be reminded of them again and again. So beginning with the very first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, we could say a lot of things about the culture we live in today. I think one very obvious thing is that the culture says to each and every one of us, you don't have enough. Or you aren't enough. If only, if only you could get that one extra thing, that one extra possession. If only you could change that one thing about yourself, then maybe you would be sufficient. Can I get an amen to that? Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if instead of listening to the words of the culture telling us that, we actually could rest in the promise of this first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have enough. I am enough. Why? Because God loves me. Amen? Yeah. Second verse, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Uh, anyone else ever feel busy in this life? You ever feel anxious in this life? Anyone else ever wake up in the middle of the night and worry about things you have no control over whatsoever? Yeah. What does God say about that? Does God say, great, keep that up. How's that working for you? No, God says he wants us to lie down in green pastures. He wants us to rest in his love. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Wouldn't it be nice if as Christians we could actually listen to that and receive it and act on that promise? He leads me in right paths. You know, this whole psalm is written in a way as, as if it's uh, written to someone on a journey, which is a very powerful way to think about this life, a journey, a pilgrimage, um, a walk. Uh, we're sojourners in a foreign land, and so the psalm reminds us, if we open our eyes, God will direct and guide us in the right way. Verse four, even though I walk through the darkest valley, uh, we, many of us grew up with, uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know that translation. I actually like the NRSV, this is the NRSV translation we have, a little better. It takes death out of, out of the, um, the verse. Not that you can't think about death, but it, it, it makes it sort of more general. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, or some translations are, even though I walk through deepest darkness, right? Um, and so it, it helps us think about not only death, but about all of the things that give us problems, anxiety, difficulties in this life. And in, in our culture today, I don't think I need to make this point uh, or beat the, this horse too much. I mean, we have such issues around mental health. We're trying to focus on that on, here, on that here at St. Philip the Deacon. Um, and so that one way to talk about that is walking through dark valleys or deepest darkness. And the promise here is that God will always, always, always be with you in those times of trial. God will never desert you. And then the last verse, um, verse six, I wanna leave you with a couple of things just to sort of meditate on maybe this week. Surely goodness and mercy shall, what's the word? Right, that's the word we all know. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I wanna suggest that that word follow is maybe a little too passive, right? Uh, I wanna suggest that a better understanding of what is actually being gotten at there is, surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me. Surely goodness and mercy shall chase me down. Which is another way of saying, God will never, ever 
let you go. God will chase you, God will pursue you to the corners of the earth, no matter what, okay? It's a more active verb than just follow. And this sort of related to that, the second part of that verse, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Often we think of that as, as pointing to eternal life, and that's a totally appropriate way to think about uh, that verse, but I think it's also helpful to think about it in terms of this life as well. And in that context, uh, you might say, I shall live, or maybe even better, I shall return to the house of the Lord throughout my whole life, which is a reminder, again, I like it in, in parallel with the first part of the verse that reminds us God is gonna chase us down, God's gonna pursue us no matter what, and in the second half, it's a reminder that even, if, this would never happen to any of you, but if you made a mistake, or you felt bad about something you had done, or worried whether you were acceptable to God, again, just theoretically, the promise is God will always welcome you back. I will return, I can return to God's house my whole life long, again and again and again. The doors are always wide open. I hope you will take some comfort in those promises and on this uh, Good Shepherd Sunday, I pray that each and every one of us uh, can be reminded of this Lord that we call a Good Shepherd and that we can be reminded of how this Shepherd wants to guide and direct and protect and love us. So will you join me now as we pray about that? Loving God, we thank you for being our good shepherd. We pray that you will help us always to hear your voice and to follow it, not only for our sake, but for the sake of a world in need. And all this we pray in your holy name. Amen. <laughs>